Hello and welcome. You are listening to Resiliency, a podcast that takes an inside look at enhancing the vitality and resilience of field workers. From experts in member care to frontline field workers, our guests will bring you their experience, their lessons learned, and always something practical you can take away and use to increase your resiliency in cross-cultural life and ministry. Co-hosts Silas West and Steve Finley are just one part of an ever-growing and strengthening net of member care in the Antioch movement. They want to see Matthew 24, 14 happen and do everything they can to help field workers have the kind of resilience that enables them to make it for the long haul. Hey, listeners, welcome to another episode of Resiliency. Uh, we are so thankful today to have my friend Lynette Wilson here with us. Lynette, why don't you introduce yourself uh, to our listeners, and then we're going to get to share what you're going to be sharing with us today. We'll talk about that topic. Okay. I am a marriage and family therapist here in Waco, Texas, and I have a private practice And uh, for years, uh, several years, uh, almost four years, I worked at Antioch with Vicki Smyre and um, saw lots of missionaries at that point in time. And um, I have four kids. Two of them are adults, and then two of them are in the process of launching. And uh, my husband teaches at Baylor. So I am excited about being here today and talking about anxiety. There you go. Talking about anxiety. We're excited that you're here with us on that. Um, I'm just going to throw in at the very beginning that Silas and I were on a, a work-related Zoom call a little while ago. And one of the ladies on that call, uh, when she heard that we're doing an interview with you today for resiliency, we didn't say anything about the interview. And she said, oh, Steve and Silas, I was in a, I was in a session a meeting with some women uh, and Lynette Wilson talked to us about anxiety and kind of the cure for anxiety. And she said it was so powerful. We said, well, isn't that great? We're talking to Lynette today about uh, anxiety and how she can help us all. So in this subject matter, so we just are so grateful to have you on with us today. And I'm going to let Silas kind of launch us into some of the questions that we want to ask you today about this vast subject. Sure. So, yeah, Lynette, we are really grateful for you to be here with us today. One of the things that, that I'm kind of aware of in, in my own practice of, of counseling is that we kind of use the word anxiety in some ways wrong or it's, it's often misused and uh, either misused or underused. It kind of can go both ways. Some people call anxiety things that are uh, anxiety that aren't, they're just stress and others... Anyway, I just thought maybe you could help us clarify that a little bit. Sure. Yeah, there's, um, I would say, two kinds of anxiety. One of them is common anxiety, and the other is clinical anxiety. So with clinical anxiety, that that's the heading that the generalized anxiety disorders, post-traumatic stress disorder, um, those kinds of things fall under. So common or normative anxiety would be where you can identify a clear cause it's, it's a normal reaction to a clear cause, and your re- reaction is controllable and it's not excessive. For instance, if you're driving down the highway and all of a sudden you see a policeman that you pass by, you know, I always put my foot on the brake. No matter how fast I was going, it's just, it's just an instinct. My anxiety level goes up and I put my foot on the brake. 
And then Me I'm too. looking, yeah. And then I'm looking in the rearview mirror to see, is he turning his lights on? Is he coming mm-hmm. after me? And my anxiety level increases even more. And if he pulls me over, my anxiety increases even more. So that is common anxiety. There's a clear cause a policeman is pulling me over. And it is a normal reaction to be anxious when a policeman's pulling you over. And I know that once he writes me the ticket. I can, my anxiety level will return back to normal and I can, I will go on my way and pay, pay the ticket. But, you know, my anxiety level is controllable and there's a clear cause. So that is common normative anxiety. So clinical anxiety would be most often there's an unclear cause. Like you can be in the grocery store and all of a sudden you get this, overwhelming sense of anxiety or I have some people say, you know, I wake up and I feel anxious. So there's no reason to be feeling the anxiety. They're just feeling anxious. So there's an there's no clear cause and the reaction doesn't fit the circumstance and it's uncontrollable and unpredictable. And it also gets in the way of your ability to you know, function, like your social functioning, your, at your work, your relational functioning. So it's interfering with your ability to function. If you're experiencing that kind of anxiety, that anxiety requires a treatment medical professional, see some kind of a, a counselor, eventually refer you to somebody who can uh, prescribe some medicine. But that's the kind of anxiety that is clinical anxiety and requires medical treatment. And sadly, only 40% of people that have clinical anxiety ever get treatment. So, you know, I just wanted to make sure we were uh, putting that out there so that the people that are needing help in this area will go get help because it's very treatable. It's a very hopeful situation. There's lots of things to do and it's very treatable. So, you know, for the majority of the people to not be getting treatment when the treatment is, you know, accessible and doable, you know, it just makes a real difference. Hmm. I want to ask you a little bit about treatment, but before I do, tell me a little bit of, in your experience, do you, do you ever find that there are some people who have some of the symptoms of clinical anxiety who just think if I just, if I just kind of push through this a little bit longer, a little bit harder, I'm going to be able to to get through it on my own. And is that is that an okay way to, to deal with it? Well, it depends, I guess, how much it's impeding your ability to function on a day-to-day basis. And I see lots of people that have just kind of had this, I'm going to pull myself up by my bootstraps and get through this. And, you know, finally, something will happen that will just kind of be the tipping point where they realize, okay, this is not getting better. I'm looking back over my journal and, you know, every year I'm processing, you know, the same things. And so, um, yeah, it's important to make sure you're, if if this is a continual problem that you're getting some help for it. And it can also be tied in, you know, with your faith. You might think, well, I'm, I'm saying these verses, I'm getting prayed for, you know, what is happening? And it might be that you have a, a medical condition that needs treatment. That's really good. So for those people that are facing clinical anxiety and have never done counseling before, don't know what that looks like, what, what can they expect treatment to look like for them? 
Well, you know, the, the first thing I do is I like to educate people. Uh, you know, when you have anxiety, it is your norm. And you don't even realize sometimes how hard you're working to manage it on a day-to-day basis where, you know, other people may not be experiencing that, but it's your norm. And you, you don't realize what the voice of anxiety sounds like, you know, the symptoms that you might be having that you've been managing. So as far as treatment goes, I mean, I, I usually walk, I usually educate people on, first of all, there's all kinds of things that they can do lifestyle wise to decrease their anxiety. You know, sleep is, is the foundation, you know, getting seven to nine hours of sleep is the foundation of mental health. And um, if your sleep is interrupted, your anxiety it it's becomes harder to manage. Exercise is another thing that you can do on your own that is very helpful. Uh, reducing your caffeine intake. A lot of times people are, you know, drinking way too much caffeine and it's increasing their anxiety. You know, I, I, I usually ask people, okay, what are you doing with your emotions? Because a huge component of anxiety is avoidance. And a lot of times... Um, they might be avoiding their emotions and not really getting them out and instead avoiding them and thinking, okay, these are really messy. I shouldn't be feeling these. So they might be shaming themselves for feeling the way they're feeling and saying, I'm going to push these aside and I'm going to avoid these things. And it, it becomes like that beach ball that you're pushing underwater, you know, that you're pushing down, pushing down, and then boom, you know, it crops up in the way of anxiety. So getting people to be able to be more in tune with what's going on with me. What am I feeling? And to own your feelings and share them with the people that you're close to rather than avoiding them. A lot of times, you know, that is super helpful in anxiety and being able to recognize the voice of anxiety. The voice of anxiety says things like, I, I must be certain. I must be perfect. I must be in control. And all of those things contribute to increasing your anxiety. Uh, also, comparison increases. You know, it, it's like, you, well, I'm never going to measure up. And so when you think about being on a mission field and the voice of anxiety says, I must be certain, I must be perfect, I must be in control. I mean, there are lots of things on the field that you do not have control over and that you're not certain about and that there's no way to be, you know, perfect. Like you're just, there's a lot of stressors. Um, so, you know, just processing all those things and, and helping the individual recognize, okay, this, this drive I'm having to, to control is anxiety or the anger and the irritability that I'm feeling right now is coming from anxiety. So just helping them develop some self-awareness about what does anxiety look like? And when I feel it, what do I do with it? And so, you know, that's leads us to another thing is, you know, treatment wise, just teaching, you know, a lot of times anxiety is also that fight or flight response that's getting activated. So teaching people how to breathe to help, calm that fight or flight that gets activated learning you know diaphragmatic breathing where you breathe from your diaphragm and you take deep breaths and you breathe into the count of four and you hold and then you exhale 
those things slow down the physiological processes of anxiety and help your body learn a calm state of being. So working with people with their breathing so that they learn, okay, I'm feeling anxious. I'm going to just sit in this chair and focus on my breathing. And just doing that right there just helps slow them down and develop some self-awareness. It's distracting. And it also helps your body find that place of relaxation where it's like, oh, this is what it feels like to relax. You know, it becomes a more familiar state when anxiety has been familiar. It helps your body learn, okay, this is where I need to go. I need to do my breathing and um, learn how to take a minute and relax. Um, Another thing that I think is important as far as, as treatment goes is, you know, is there some history of trauma? Yeah. You know, some sometimes some really traumatic things can happen on the field. And, you know, you might just need to kind of push pause and work through some of that. Is is that what you guys have found? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Oh, yeah, big time. And not just trauma on the field, but sometimes carrying trauma that was un, undealt with or unprocessed before they do the field. <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, I like to do EMDR for that. It And that's eye movement desensitization reprocessing. So it uses bilateral stimulation in the brain. And when that midbrain gets activated, research has found that there's something related to the bilateral stimulation in the brain and reprocessing those memories that are stuck in your midbrain that helps calm the midbrain down so it's not in that fight or flight response and so that it clears out the distress related to the event so that your prefrontal cortex can kick in and you can go, okay, I'm no, I'm no longer in this traumatic, distressing situation. But as long as your midbrain is activated, it, it's hard to, uh, you know, find a state of relaxation and respond to the stress in your environment. So, the the uh, EMDR makes you know things like PTSD extremely treatable. If you're struggling with you know traumatic events from your past or something that's happened on the field, it's it's very treatable. You know, find someone um, that does EMDR. You know, I, I've been doing lots of EMDR over um, you know since we've switched now to telehealth because of uh, covid-19 you know it it works great over um video conferencing so you know it's an option even if there's no therapist in your area and it's extremely effective and and um it's life changing really wow that's awesome i know that silas is uh is planning to further his uh education in emdr as I mean, you could say more about that, Silas, sometime, but um, that that's neat to hear how much effectivity you're seeing with that particular technique with people, particularly with the trauma. Um, Lynette, I want to kind of shift gears and, and just ask you this. I'm a, I'm a person who I don't generally have a, a personality, or I guess I'd say I'm not very prone to anxiety, just as a general, you know, my own personality but I'm a person who wants to be very understanding of those who are prone to anxiety. So help, help me and help our listeners who 
might live with the person who's very prone to anxiety um, or, you know, or be interact, interacting with close friends who are. How would you counsel me and others on, hey, here's how I think you can best help a person with anxiety as you interact with him or her? Yeah, I mean, a person, you know, think of a person with anxiety, you know, their fight or flight response is activated, you know, so they're scared, you know, their brain is responding in um, a way that, you know, it's, it can be life threatening, they're anxious, they're, they're afraid. And so being compassionate about that, and listening and being supportive and saying, hey, you know, what can I do to help? You know, do I need to take the kids? Do I need to, do you need to get out of the house and get a break? Just being supportive and asking questions and, uh, you know, making sure you're not, well, saying dismissive and minimizing things like, well, why would you be worried about that? That's not even, that's not even an option for, you know, happening, which, you know, a lot of times anxiety is, is not, you know, it, it is something that is an imagined fear or it feels like it's really going to happen. And it, it, you know, then there's a physiological response to it. So um, being able to be kind and comforting and say, okay, I see that you're scared and you're anxious. Um, You know, tell me about that. Like what, what's worrying you to listen and validate. Okay. I hear what you're saying and accept what they're saying. Um, and then say, okay, how can I help? What, what do you need from me? That's good. Yeah, that's really helpful. Lynette, I have another question about, um, people who, well, you, you were talking about educating people on, uh, the signs and symptoms of, of anxiety for someone who this is their norm, maybe someone in the field who doesn't really have a lot of, uh, outside people speaking into their life. Um, how would they know in the first place that, that what they're dealing with is anxiety if this is their norm? Well, I mean, I think the biggest thing is, you, you know, you're, you're not functioning well. Um, I mean, are you, are you wondering what the symptoms are? Is that what you're, I'm just, yeah, yeah, the functioning well thing, but again, that, that could just become their normal. What would be things, maybe a couple things that people might notice that they think are normal for them, but actually are, Hey, this is actually a sign of anxiety. Well, things like I know for me, you know, for years, I would wake up in the middle of the night and my mind would be trying to solve all these problems. And in my mind, they were very serious, like, oh, I was going to get these problems solved in the middle of the night. And it took me several years, even as a therapist, to say, hey, wait a second, those aren't true problems in the middle of the night, and I'm not really solving anything. This is anxiety. These are racing thoughts that I'm having. Mm -hmm. So, you know, just knowing, okay, racing thoughts is, you know, that's anxiety or irrational fears and worries. You know, that's also anxiety. Um, you know, sometimes the inability to concentrate or your mind going blank, like, you know, wanting to say something or express something, but not being able to get it out, you know, that's anxiety, Um, your heart pounding, shortness of breath, you know, sometimes people go to the emergency room because they think they're having a heart attack, but it's actually anxiety. Um, it's chest pain and tightness. You know, having stomach issues can be anxiety. Uh, avoidant behaviors. If, you know, 
if you are paying attention to yourself and realizing, wow, I really do avoid uncomfortable things. You know, a lot of times that can be and some anxiety. So being aware of, you know, the symptoms and what it looks like can be really helpful. Yeah, that's good. Well, Lynette, what do you think social media has done in this realm, in this area of anxiety? Uh, how do you see social media exacerbating the issue of anxiety today? Well, I think that social media is like, it's like, you know, throwing lighter fluid on a fire. I mean, it, it, for anxiety, if anxiety is the fire, you know, it fuels it, you know, because anxiety is, it can be very performance-based and, um, you know, getting your value from your performance and trying to be perfect. And so you're looking at a, you know, picture of what you perceive to be someone's reality that's not actually reality, that's actually the best, you know, of themselves that they're presenting, and you're comparing yourself. And, you know, you're thinking, oh, gosh, I don't measure up. Um, I'm not good enough. You know, Mm I'm, I'm not perfect here. I, you know, there's so much, all these people are getting together, and I'm not a part of it. And, how am I going to fit in, you know, if I do go back home, you know, we're on furlough and all these people have been getting together without me and I'm not a part of it. Am I going to have any friends? Am I, you know, am I losing those relationships? Look at everything I'm missing out on. And it, it seems to fuel the anxiety of, um, you know, all those things that you might be worried about. And so, you know, asking yourself like, okay, am I feeling better when I mm-hmm. look on social media, is this helpful to me? Am I feeling more peaceful or is this actually feeding my anxiety? Wow. And, good. you know, yeah. it, it might not, you know, be that way for everyone, but for most people, I think it, it makes you question, what am I missing out on? How am I measuring up? Am I enough? And, you know, what are my friendships like, you know, all those kinds of things. So, yeah, I think it's it has a huge effect on our anxiety levels and feeding that anxiety instead of, um, you know, working on, okay, how can I feel peaceful? What can I control? What can I not control? Let me focus on the things I can control. Let me make my life here be predictable because predictability helps you feel safer in a new environment. Mm-hmm being more mindful of, Oh, I can't, I can't control this, but Hey, we can control this. We can, you know, put some things in place that we can do here. So there's just lots of things you can brainstorm about that, that helps your life where you are feel more predictable, more in control, more peaceful and figuring those things out and making them a priority um, before the anxiety, anxiety spirals is really important. Mm, that's good. Yeah, that's so helpful. So if uh, if you had only one chance to speak to somebody and only one thing would rest in their memories of that, what would be the one big takeaway that you'd want people to, to leave this podcast with? Well, I think, it, you know, it would be that anxiety is very treatable and very hopeful and that you know, you can't control whether you feel anxious or whether your body has an anxious response, but you can control 
how you respond to it. So, you know, it's a matter of focusing on gathering your tools and, and, you know, your verses that before you get anxious, like, okay, these are the, this is my mindset. You know, this is um, what I'm going to do when I feel anxious, you know, and it might be a simple list of things like I'm going to take, you know, a nice calming bath, you know, or I'm going to go on a walk or, you know, using your tools, I'm going to breathe. I'm just going to take a minute and breathe. So kind of developing your toolbox and figuring out what works for you as far as managing your anxiety. And it's different for everybody. Um, You know, what's helpful for one person may not be helpful for the other. So you figuring out, okay, what helps me feel calm and peaceful And also, I think it's important to be aware of your capacity. Everyone has a different capacity, especially in couples. I see, you know, one person may have a really high capacity for doing lots of things and the other one may not have the same capacity. And so it's important to be respectful of each person's capacity and to know your limits and know, okay, when I do all of this then I kind of get strung out and I'm not my best self and I become irritable and anxious. So I'm going to make sure I do self-care and I get exercise and I get, get sleep and I get plenty of rest and I talk about how I'm feeling and, you know, talk to that pastoral oversight person and get out your emotions about things so that the anxiety doesn't get the best of you. Um, and the breathing, I think, is, is huge. So I think the, the biggest thing that I would say is um, knowing that, okay, so anxiety is something that feels really out of control, but actually you can respond well and you can have your tools that you use to manage that anxiety. You shared so many awesome things today, Lynette, in this uh, interview, and we're so grateful for, you know, for your contribution, uh, not just through resiliency, but just hundreds and hundreds of people whom you've helped and served through the years. Thank you so much. Thank you for what you've done for our organization. Well, thank you for asking me to do this. And I really appreciate you guys and what you guys do for so many people on the field. You're an incredible support. We're all in it together, and, mm-hmm. and and we refer people to you because you are so uh, you're you're blessed and gifted by God to do this, and and we just really want to affirm you and thank you. In fact, uh, just for what you have and what you carry, um, the gifts that God's given you, we'd love for you just to pray a blessing and and an impartation upon our listeners today, if you would, to close. Sure. Lord, I just pray that you will bless these people that are doing work that's uncertain, unpredictable, sometimes dangerous and life-threatening. And I pray that you will bring them a supernatural peace in all the stressors and hardships that they face on a daily basis. I pray that you will give them an extra measure of capacity and strength and understanding for each other to do the work that you've called them to do. And I pray that the people they're reaching out to will experience a peace and a love that supersedes the language and cultural barriers. And I pray that you will give them peace in difficult times, the peace that will can only come from you, Lord. And just bless these people 
and bring them peace. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, listeners, thanks again for tuning in. That does it for this episode of Resiliency. We're so grateful to each of you for listening, and we'd like to hear from you on how we're doing. You can follow us on Instagram at Resiliency Podcast, and you can click on the link in the bio and leave us a voice message that we might even put into the show. And so for now, I'm Silas West, and thank you for listening to Resiliency. Resiliency.